going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And actually this is maybe a completion, um, maybe a completion of this text. We've been in this text, it'll be the third time um, we spent last Sunday on it as well. And once you find Acts 2, we'll be down toward the end of the chapter. Go ahead and stand and we'll read this together. Um, last week we spent the morning and evening in Acts 2. We looked at the idea keeping the main things the main thing. And as a church, um, it really, this is important because we all have different personalities. We all have different life experiences. We've all seen church done a different way. And we all have different expectations. And it's good for us to, rather than maybe take the pulse of preference, to go to something a little bit more solid and uh, something that is timeless in nature, and that is the, God, the, the Word of God, and find out what a church should look like there. Uh, because it's easy to take our cues from culture, but we really need to start with God's Word. A as we read, I want you to imagine um, a puzzle. How many of you, you ever put together puzzles? Our family likes to put together puzzles um, because we, we don't know what else to do in the wintertime, okay? So we're there, we have a fireplace, we're like puzzle time. Um, can you imagine trying to put together, and I've used this illustration before, can you imagine trying to put together a puzzle without the box or without the picture? I mean, it would be almost, it would be impossible unless it's one of the kids' puzzles, and those are still challenging sometimes, you know, with the big pieces. And, um, but, but if you had like a thousand, we like to do at least a thousand piece puzzle, and if that's the case and you have no frame of reference, it's hard. That would be difficult. Um, so as we read Acts 2, verse 41 through 37, I want you to imagine this is the box. And the puzzle, the church puzzle, we're getting a glimpse of it right here. And, and this is our frame of reference for New Testament biblical church ministry. And so let's read this together. I'd like to do it like we did last time, read it out loud, beginning in verse 41 down through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, ready, begin. Then they... added to the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, I love that text. I, I didn't even think about the live stream folks. Sorry for those watching live stream. It probably just sounded like in the background during that because I stepped out. I just love to hear you read together. It's a good thing especially in a text like this because uh, the, the thought tonight is the main things but really the thought the subtitle would be this a spirit of togetherness. A spirit of togetherness. Of all the things that a church does and is, the one element that if it's missing will destroy all the rest is a spirit of togetherness. A spirit of unity. A spirit of doing these things as a team, as a unit. 
And tonight I want to look at that thought, the main things one more time, and particularly this spirit of togetherness. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. As we saw last time, the first church at Jerusalem had just experienced an incredible moment. 3,000 people, souls were added to the church on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit poured himself out and did something miraculous. And they, they know, though, but that because of the addition of so many souls, that they better get some things in place as a church. They better operate with some organization. They better have a plan. And as they do, we see them begin to focus on the things that every church should focus on. And here are the things that we've looked at so far, the things essential to a healthy church. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the three, which are gathering in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so they were gathering together. They weren't, not, they weren't doing in, in, inconsistently. They were coming together. They were spending time together. They were sharing life together. So we see that a healthy church, a biblical New Testament church, um, is, will prioritize gathering. They'll be together. Um, the other thing we looked at was giving the gospel. Peter has just gotten up on the day of Pentecost. He's preached the gospel to thousands of people. And it didn't, it didn't stop there. We see that in verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So they were continually preaching the gospel. Um, you don't, people don't just come and get saved without the giving of the gospel. So they clearly were prioritizing the giving of the gospel. So they were gathering. They were giving the gospel. They were growing through the word. Verse 42, uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And at that time, the apostles were still there. They were still part of that church. They were teaching the things they had witnessed um, in, in the life of Jesus Christ with their own eyes. And we still have, by the way, we still have the apostles' doctrine because God then used those apostles to preserve the doctrine and the gospels and the scripture. In this book right here, we don't have the apostles, but we still have their doctrine. And I'm grateful for that. So they were gathering, they were giving the gospel, they were growing through the word. And then last Sunday night, we looked at three more elements, and, uh, and that was fellowship and prayer and community. Now, I did say last night, I, I was trying to come up with an alliteration, and I was trying to make it G's, because I had already done all the G's that morning. G is a hard letter to, to alliterate, I found out. And so I said I was struggling to come up with alliteration. Well, Brother Jeremy Jacobs spent the rest of my message coming up with alliterations for my points. I don't know that he listened to anything, but he came up with alliteration. Now, he didn't use G's because, like I said, that was a challenge, but he came up with C's. So for fellowship, he came up with camaraderie. And for prayer, he came up with communion. And for community, he came up with community. So um, those three things. So I may go back and forth because he, those, aren't, those aren't bad. Uh, those are actually pretty good. But they were fellowshipping. They were together. They, were, they shared life together. They did it consistently. I mean, they, uh, it says in verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I mean, they were together. They, their bond in Christ was not limited to church times. Uh, and I'm thankful for that, that we have folks in here that do that well. And I'm grateful for uh, the times that you spend, that people in our church spend together outside of, of church. You know, the spiritually enlightening things like the demolition derby down at the Parker Fair or whatever it is. 
You know, I don't, I haven't quite, I haven't been to that yet, but I hear it's a, spirit, a spiritually uplifting time to see vehicles crash into each other and just pound each other. I'm thankful that y'all enjoy the spiritual things together. Um, but this church was practicing camaraderie. They were fellowshipping. They were, there was hospitality. And, and that's a biblical principle. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Peter said that. They were also in prayer, which we saw that in verse 42, continuing steadfastly in, in prayers. And we pray, we ought to pray together. Uh, the, the bond of prayer is so important. And the key to spiritual success, the key to the effectiveness of our church is dependent on prayer. That's where the power of God comes from. And we cannot do anything in our own strength without seeking God. That's where it all begins. And then community. We looked at that last week as well. They all that I believed were together. They had all things common. And some, and, and this would mean that those that were wealthy, that had houses or pieces of property or possessions, when they would see a need in the church, someone else who was poor or in poverty, they would sell their belongings and use the, what they gained from the sale of the belongings. They would use that money to help take care of the needs of people in their church family. And, and I know that's not the way. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, it, we're not in the same culture. Um, but I, I do believe that there should be a mentality that says, if I have a resource and my brother or sister has a need, then I'm going to help take care of it if, if the Lord will let me. You know, that's a good way to operate as a family. You do that as a family. This is a church family. And it's not even just in wealth. Uh, it's just any resource that you have that could be a blessing. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's just stopping to visit with somebody that you and your spirit sense there's something they're down about. I want to be a blessing to them. Sometimes it's, it's just a time together. It's just a cup of coffee or whatever it is. And we ought to have that look, we, looking out mindset. And, and last week we talked in, in, about community. We had the table here and we had uh, four young men at each corner. And we had um, Connor sitting on the table. And, and if one person lifts their corner of the table, um, Connor was just dumped off. And we all enjoyed that, watching that. Um, we, then uh, the other person on this side, if the two people lift up their corners, again he goes off the table. Even if you have three of the four corners being lifted up, that one corner over here, he just slid off. But if everyone will grab their corner and lift their corner, you don't have to lift two corners. You don't have to lift the whole side of the table. All you need to do is lift up your corner. And if you will do your part in the community, then God will allow us to meet, fulfill the biblical expectations of a New Testament church. Amen. It just takes a team effort. It takes all of us that are willing to stand where we are and do what we're supposed to do. And the central word of all of this, and we ended with this last week, and I want to build on it just a little bit tonight, and it won't be long, but the central word of this text, I really believe the word is together. You know, if you think about this whole text, there are seven verses, verses 41 down through 47. So you've got verses 41, 42, 43... Then you've got verse 45, 46, and 47. Right there in the middle is verse 44. So I want you to, verse 44 is the center verse of this unit of thought. So I want you then to look at verse 44, and I want you to count the words and find the very middle word of verse 44. 
And when you figure it out, tell me. The word is together. You have this whole unit of thought. And right in the middle of the middle verse. And I know that it's not necessarily inspired or the way. But I think it, there is some beauty in the fact that in a text like this. The central, the central idea is together. The central thought is togetherness. That, that all of these things are important. And all of these things matter. But, but you don't do these things in a vacuum. You do these things together. That's the beauty and the strength of a local church. They were together in gathering. They were together in giving the gospel. It wasn't just up to one person. They were together when they were growing through the word and teaching. They were together when they fellowship. You can't fellowship or have camaraderie by yourself. They were together in prayer. They were doing it together. There was communion and communication. You can't have communication unless you're together. Unless you're with somebody else. They were together in the community. You can't have a community unless you're together. Listen, none of these are meant to be done alone. This is God's plan for Eastside Baptist Church. And even if you don't think you need it, other people need it. It's not about us, it's about others. That's the message, that's the theme of this series, that it's about togetherness. And I want you to notice how they approached this togetherness. And and really, it, it begins that the thought is in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. That idea, they continued steadfastly, it means a single minded fidelity to a certain course of action. A single-minded fidelity or or faithfulness, loyalty. A single-minded loyalty or faithfulness to a certain course of action. Meaning that they knew this is the path. The path to success is that we gather. The path to success is that we give the gospel. The path to success is that we grow. The path to success is that we fellowship. The path to success is that we pray. The path to success is that we are a community... They were not just participating in these things. They were in serious pursuit of them. They, were, they continued steadfastly. Continued is a, is a present participle. It just means they were doing it all the time. They were continuously pursuing, steadfastly pursuing. They were committed to these things. They had a single-minded fidelity to this course of action. And they were so committed to these things that they committed themselves to them. They, it wasn't just a mindset. They were living it. And their mindset of continuing steadfastly affected all the other elements. And, and, maybe, and maybe you understand, I think you will understand this, but there are certain things, like certain personalities, and if they have certain traits, it affects everything about them, good or bad. And I know, and this may be true of you, um, maybe the, the personality trait, we could just use one, let's say it's stubbornness. You say, I'm not stubborn. Okay. No, stubbornness. Now, stubbornness, stubbornness can be a bad thing. All right, if, you're, if you've got a child who's stubborn and, and you're trying to teach them a lesson and they just won't hear it, um, how many parents in here have a stubborn child? At least one, okay. All right, uh, Ron, uh, Ron, did you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. Um, he's got two. So, no, just kidding. 
Stubborn children. Now, a stubborn child can, can give you gray hair and make you pull it out when you're, they're little and you're just trying to get them to do anything that you want them to do and they're stubborn and they won't, re, they won't give in to your will and you're just, oh, it's constant, a constant battle, right? But when they get older, if they're stubborn, stubbornness can be a good thing. Like if you're stubborn and you're resolved and you get, to, you get a job and the people around you are not the kind of people you enjoy being around and just about anybody else will quit, but you have this resolve in your heart that says, I'm not going to quit, I'm going to stick this out, that can be a good, a good trait, can't it? I mean, I'm thankful for those, there are some, some people have this, uh, they lack a self-awareness, okay? They don't, in a social situation, they're not really like, understanding the cues around them. Okay, we can all be that way. It can be a bad thing sometimes socially. On the other hand, some of the best witnesses I've ever met were people that weren't really aware or didn't really care about what people thought about them. And they would knock on any door. They would talk to anybody about the gospel. Um, they, they, that trait turned out to be something that was good for them. That trait colored everything that they did. So what we have here is a church that is, their, their trait is this. They are in continued steadfastness. They were resolved. And it colored everything they did. And I think in this situation, this first church, these were people that had probably been ostracized from their families. These were people that may have lost their jobs. Some of them may have lost their spouses. Some of them may have been blackballed in their community because they were following Jesus Christ. And in them, in their heart, we see a continued steadfastness. They were resolved to do what they ought to do. They were faithful to a certain course of action and it served them well and that can that resolve will say that steadfastness colored the way that they approached gathering meaning they didn't just show up when they felt like it no if the church is getting together we're going to be there and this steadfastness gave them a sense that I'm resolved to give the gospel. In other words, it's not just my, my brother over here or my sister over here. No, I'm going to give the gospel. They were steadfast in their giving of the gospel. This, this church, they were steadfast in their growth in the word, meaning that when the word was open, it wasn't wah, 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 Charlie Brown. No, they were like, okay, I'm going to pattern my life after what I'm hearing. I'm going to, men I'm my mentor is Jesus Christ. I'm going to live like he did. And I'm going to do what I can. They were resolved. They were steadfast in their seriousness about fellowship. It wasn't just a uh, maybe a once in a while. No, they were together regularly. They were seriously committed to prayer. It wasn't just talk. This was a house of prayer. They were committed to their community. It was family. They essentially said, when it says they continued steadfastly, it says we are going to steadfastly and continuously focus on these, these main things. This is what we do as a church. These are the things we believe in doing and we are committed to these things together. Here's the idea. They were resolved to pursue a spirit of togetherness. You had to be resolved in that day. It wasn't easy. Now, I know it's not easy today either, but it, wasn't, it really wasn't easy then. There's persecution. We find out not long later, just a, maybe a few years later, this church is, is being persecuted to the point where they had to be dispersed and spread. I mean, they were going to face something serious. They had to be resolved. They, this was not a halfway commitment. And I just want you to see tonight simply 
what it takes to have a spirit of togetherness. Uh, It takes, number one, it takes sacrifice. It takes a, a spirit of sacrifice. Listen, you can't make it about yourself. If you want a spirit of togetherness and you're self-promoting, it's not going to happen. If you want a spirit of togetherness and you, and you have to get your way, it's not going to happen. No, they were, they were not about each other, about themselves. No, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Not their preferences, not their desires. They didn't stand up and say, well, this is how I think, this is how we used to run things at my old church. Well, there was no old church, but you know what I'm saying. They, didn't, they weren't saying, no, this is how I think we ought to do things. No, they said, no, this is the doctrine, this is the apostles' doctrine, this is the word, this is the teaching, we're going to follow this. They, they, uh, they, they weren't making it about themselves. They also weren't making it about themselves in that they were willing to fellowship. They were willing to, so if you think about this, fellowship means you give up time to spend with other people. Fellowship means that you're willing to give up some nights so that you can invest in people and be around others. They, were, they weren't about themselves. It says they were praying. They were serious about praying. Something, something about prayer forces humility. In other words, when you're proud, you don't really pray. You don't feel the need to. And, and they were being humble enough to admit we need something more than what we've got. They were sacrificing their own gains to meet the needs of others. I mean, think about it. They could have, some of these folks could have, could have held on to their possessions and sold them and used it for themselves, but they were willing to let go. It takes a spirit of sacrifice if we want togetherness as a church. If you've ever been part of a team, you know that. In order for a success to happen, people have to be willing to set aside their interests, their interests for the good of the whole. It's like that illustration from last week. Everybody has to be willing to get a corner and you can't say, well, this is not the corner I wanted. No, if God puts you in that position, embrace the corner and lift it when it's required and do everything you can to just be part of the team. And someday you may get the other corner, which is the one you want. But for now, man, embrace the corner. See, a spirit of togetherness means that you humbly accept your one part of the whole team. I read a book uh, in the last year called Boys in the Boat. It's about the University of Washington rowing team in the 1930s. And, and this, this team was made of just, I mean, some of them just literally grew up in the mountains of Washington. They were cutting logs. And, and they tried out for the rowing team. And, and after a couple of years, you know, things weren't really meshing. But after a couple of years, the right guys were sitting in the right places on the boat. And it's really a fascinating book. I, I recommend I recommend it, especially for the men in here, the spirit of teamwork and the idea of being part of a team and doing everything you can in your place. Can you imagine if just one person on the boat doesn't pull their weight? That team, they, when they finally came together as a team, they went to, um, to Berlin while, while Adolf Hitler was rising to prominence. Um, and Nazi, the Nazi Germany was really rising to prominence on the world stage. And in the face of all that, this team of um, no names from the University of Washington, the rowing team, won the gold medal in the shadow of Nazism there in Berlin. I mean, what a, it's an incredible story. I, it's really interesting, but it reminds me of a local church in that uh, if people aren't willing to embrace their seat on the boat, then you don't have the success that you really need. It's kind of like in basketball. If you know anything about basketball, sometimes you get on a team and there's a ball hog. 
And that ball hog, man, he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to shoot every shot. Uh, he, wants to, he, he, he doesn't pass. He doesn't look for somebody else to be open. No, he's always got the ball, and, and he makes the team inefficient. And when people are open, he could pass to them, and they can make a shot. But he doesn't because he wants all the glory. And a ball hog limits the team. And I'm telling you, there's no room for ball hogs in the work of God. We need a spirit of togetherness. But if we're going to have a spirit of togetherness, we have to be willing to sacrifice. Lay aside our desires. Set aside the things that, that maybe we want because there's something bigger at stake. Something else about a spirit of togetherness is it takes willingness. It's one thing to have to make a sacrifice, but this church wasn't just sacrificing. They were doing it. They, were, they weren't just making the right choices. They were doing it with the right spirit. Look at verse 41. It says, they, then they that gladly received his word. Look down at verse 46. It says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It says in verse 47, they were praising God together. So listen, this was a, a church that were dealing with some struggles and they were dealing with heartaches and hardships, but they were doing it with a spirit of willingness. They were happy about it. They had joy. See, a spirit of togetherness is not just about doing the right things. It's doing things the right way. And this is a parenting principle as well, is that as a parent, I certainly desire obedience. We all do. But I'll tell you what really turns my crank is when my children obey with a great spirit. See, it's one thing to have your children obey. And listen, for some parents, we need to work on just making them obey. When you give them a command, they obey right away and they, they do exactly what you tell them to do it. But we sometimes miss the third element, which is they obey with the right spirit. And, and we shouldn't be content if our children are just doing what we say. No, don't be content until they do what you say. And they've got a gladness in their spirit about it. And they're joyful about it. I'm telling you, yeah, it turns my crank to have them obey. But it really gets me excited when my children do what they do with a, with a good spirit. And even better than that, what, what I really get excited about as a dad is when I watch my children engaging with each other with a spirit of joy and they're just laughing and enjoying life and having a good time and enjoying each other and loving each other. I'm telling you, there's something about that. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, sometimes I just sit in my chair and, and I just watch them. Just watch them in, engage and, and, you know, for that four seconds that they're not fighting, it's, <laughs> and it's just a sense of joy. You know, it, it reminds me of, of maybe the, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote in, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I just imagine Paul sitting in a recliner, just thinking about the church of Philippi. And it says, he, you, fulf you fil fulfill my joy. When I hear that you're doing things together, when you're of the same mind, where you're doing things of the same accord, and he just is sitting there thinking, watching um, the church at Philippi and having a great time, enjoying their spirit of unity. Like John in, John, in 3 John 4, when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children 
walk in truth. I'm telling you, there's something about it when your children just do right and you can't manufacture that joy any other way. There's something about the gladness and the willingness and the servitude. And if we feel that and Paul felt that and John felt that, then I think it's safe to say that God the Father feels that when his children have a spirit of togetherness as a church. I just imagine him in heaven just sitting back. He's not in a recliner. He's on the throne of the universe. But he's watching us. And he sees that this family, they came from this state. They don't really have anything in common with this family. But look how they're fellowshipping right now. And this person comes from a background completely different than this person over here, but they've become friends at Eastside Baptist Church. And God's in heaven thinking, man, this is, this is joyful. This fulfills my joy that I'm watching this happen. And these two people, maybe even they have a past, and their past is, it hasn't always been good. But right now there's forgiveness and there's restoration. And those two people that someone thought at one point they'll never be friends again. They're meeting for lunch today and they're enjoying the fellowship. And God in heaven says, that gives me joy. I'm telling you, there's something about a unit, a community of people that nobody would predict could have a spirit of togetherness that will cause God to say, this is satisfying. This is good. This is right. And I believe with biblical evidence that we can support this, that he says, it's so good that I'm going to bless them in a special way. They're sacrificing for each other. They have a spirit of willingness. They're doing it out of love. They're praising me as a church. I'm going to do spe something special for them. And it actually leads us to the third thing tonight about a spirit of togetherness. Yes, it takes sacrifice. And yes, it takes willingness. But it produces the favor of God. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God looked at this church, you know, like the, the father in the recliner. He said, man, they're doing things the way a church ought to be doing them. And I'm going to do something special for them in return. And it says that he gave them favor with all the people. All the people, he says. Meaning they had a testimony because they were together in this way. And they were a spirit of togetherness. And they were praising God. And that, that, that term praising God is another present participle. Which means it's an ongoing expression of praise. It's the same idea as continually steadfast. There was this ongoing spirit of praise to God for what he was doing. In other words, their unity had a visible outlet. And you could sense the unity of the church when they would come together and sing the praises of God. People would come in and it says that the praising of God gave them favor with the people. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 14 when it says that if one prophesy when an unlearned or unbeliever comes in, they're convinced of all. Meaning that a spirit of praise and a togetherness in our singing does more than just, okay, gets us to the preaching time. When someone comes in and they see that, they sense there's something different about that church. You say, well, if they stand by me, then they know there's something different because I'm not a great singer. No, I'm telling you, even if you can't sing, Ron Madden, even if you can't sing... <laughs> 
If you'll, with all your heart, engage, it does something to the unbeliever coming in that says, this is real to them. It gives us favor with people. And I'm telling you, the, the, you can't fake a spirit of togetherness when it comes to praise. When we're together and we're singing the praises of God, that's not something that we can manufacture on our own. I'm telling you, that unity comes out. It's visible. It's evident in the way that we corporately worship as a congregation. But it's not just favor with people. This is interesting. The second product of the spirit of togetherness is that God blesses it with growth. It says, and they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And this phrase is, is connected to the one that gave us the word together in verse 44. In other words, when a spirit, a church has a spirit of togetherness, God works in such a miraculous way by changing people's lives and it grows a church family. And in the same way, I'm telling you, in the same way in verse 44 that that church was together, when new people came in, God would miraculously then dump them right in the middle of it. And now the new folks are together with everybody else just like the old church was. And that's something that only God can do, folks. That God can take a new believer and bring him in with somebody who's been saved for 60 years. And they have an immediate bond in Jesus Christ. There's togetherness right away. Now you can't do that in any other realm. There's only one place that happens, and that's in a church when people are in Jesus Christ and they're saved and they come together and have a bond that's beyond race, it's beyond color, it's beyond language, it's beyond all those other barriers. No, God brings people together and he forms them together and togetherness, um, even if it's somebody who just got saved and somebody who's been saved for a long time. It's a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit to bring us together to that way, in that way. And up to this point, all the things that we've talked about have been really what we are responsible to do. We're responsible to gather. We're responsible to give the gospel. We're responsible to grow. And we're responsible for fellowship. We're responsible for prayer. And we're responsible for being part of the community. But the result of those decisions, being continuously steadfast in those decisions, the result is that we get to watch God do what he is capable of doing. See, the real blessings come when God responds to our spirit of, of togetherness. If we truly want God to work at Eastside Baptist Church in incredible ways around here, I'm telling you this, he wants to. But when we don't have a spirit of togetherness, then it logically follows that God's work is limited here. Amen. So we choose... How much God can miraculously work based on our spirit of togetherness. The principle tonight is this. When we do what we're supposed to do, God can do what only he can do. He wants to do the miraculous. He wants to do the supernatural. He wants to do the divine. But we have to do what we're supposed to do, which is this. Gather. Give the gospel. Grow through the word, fellowship, pray together, and be a community. See, God's response 
is an outpouring of his power and his blessings on our church. And when we do what we're supposed to do, God does what only he can do. Eastside, listen, if we want an outpouring of God's blessings in the way, by way of favor with people and lives that are changed through the gospel and souls added to our church, we must continue steadfastly in a pursuit of a spirit of togetherness. God may bless us in spite of our limitations, but listen, he'll never bless us in spite of our disunity. I'll say that again. God may bless us in spite of our limitations, but he will not bless us in spite of disunity. Meaning that our disunity and our, or maybe our lack of, of togetherness will limit the work that God can do at Eastside Baptist Church. So what, how do we apply this? Well, have you embraced the call to continued steadfastness in gathering? Not just in seasons, not just the services you feel like it, no, consistently. Have you embraced the call to be continuously steadfast when it comes to gathering as a church? Have you embraced the call to be continuously steadfast in giving the gospel? Not just once to appease your conscience, but a daily pursuit of souls. Have you embraced the continued steadfastness when it comes to growth in the word? Not just when you feel like it, not just when the certain preacher preaches that you like, or not just when the certain teacher teaches that you like, but when you get, you get in a place where the word is being taught or preached, you are engaged, you're listening, you're giving yourself to growth. Not just when you feel like it, but all the time. Have you embraced the continued steadfastness when it comes to fellowship? I mean, I would, like I said last time, I would encourage you to say at least once a month we're going to be, we're going to do something with hospitality. We're going to spend time with people. We're going to take somebody out to eat. We're going to have somebody over. I'm going to do something that encourages fellowship um, as a church at least once a month. And if you can do it more, great. Have you, have you embraced the call to continued steadfastness when it comes to prayer? Not just corporately, but privately. How's your prayer life? Have you embraced the call to continued steadfastness as part of a community of believers? Are you in the middle of it? Or are you one of the outliers? We have a church planning conference coming up next week. You can be as involved as you want to be. And, and yet we have, you know, we will have some that we really heavily lean on and others that, you know, we won't see. Listen, you can be as involved as you want to be at Eastside Baptist Church if you would just be willing to say, whatever you need, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of this community. Are you contributing to our spirit of togetherness as a church? Do you have someone with whom you struggle to be together? Listen, that's how it works. Their personalities and maybe something has happened. But listen, isn't it, decide, isn't it time to decide that God's blessings on our church are bigger than an offense? I mean, we're literally talking about God miraculously, miraculously doing something supernatural in a church. Adding people to the church daily such as should be saved. I mean, 33,000 souls were added. This is God doing incredible work in this church. And so this church was willing to say, yes, I, there's an offense. Yes, there's something that bothers me. And yes, it kind of, yeah, it, it's annoying. And yes, it's on my mind. But I would say right now, I'm willing to let that go. Because if it means we can see as a church God do miraculous work around here, then I won't, I'm not going to hold on to that. 
It, it takes us being willing to say, no, I'm going to let something go because I want to see what God might do at Eastside Baptist Church. And if you'll do what you can do, God will do what he can do. You say, well, what can I do? Well, you can forgive. You can decide that that offense is not worth holding on to um, for the sake of seeing God work. You can extend a, a hand of a friendship to somebody who maybe thought that you couldn't be friends again. You can write a note to somebody and just encourage them. It makes a big difference. You can pray for them. Pray for them to be blessed instead of revenge. You can take them to lunch, take them to get a cup of coffee. Just go, maybe sometimes just go out of your way at church to talk to them. That'd make a difference. You say, well, what can I do? What can I do? You can do that. And if we'll do that, who knows what God might do? Are you contributing to the spirit of togetherness at, at Eastside? Are you contributing to the spirit of togetherness at home? You know, this is an issue. Be careful of airing grievances in front of your children. You talk about, um, about perpetuating a spirit of disunity when parents aren't careful about the things they talk about in front of their children. I'm telling you, it's perpetuating a spirit of disunity. A spirit of togetherness can be passed from one generation to the next, but we have to be careful not to instill a spirit of disunity in those that we influence. You have the choice. You can either, when you're off the scene or your children grow up, um, you can either, they'll either say, okay, mom and dad instilled in me a spirit of, of, of togetherness. Or they'll say, well, my mom and dad instilled in me a spirit of disunity, and, and so that's the one I'm carrying. You realize, man, we have a lot of influence, don't we? How's your spirit of sacrifice? See, when's the last time it cost you something to be a blessing to somebody else? It's easy to primarily view church as a place to be blessed. But as we've seen the last couple of months, church is primarily a place to be a blessing. Amen. How's your spirit of willingness? Don't just do what you ought to do. Do it the right way. Ask the Lord to help you to be a positive, joyful person when it comes to serving. Don't be a Debbie Downer. My dad used to say, it looks like you've been sucking on pickles all day. How about serve with a smile? I mean, in fact, I'd love for our unofficial motto to be serving with a smile. You say, well, that's silly. I don't think so. I think it'd be a really good thing for us to think about. It's like everything I do for God is worth a smile because of what God has done for me. Everything I do at church is worth a smile because this is a big deal that I get to be involved in serving at a church. Everything I do at church, I'm going to do it with a smile even if I'm serving next to somebody I don't necessarily get along with. Even if I don't like my corner of the table, I'm going to smile and I'm going to be happy because God lets me do anything in his service. Serving God with a smile. No matter what it is that we just have joy. This last week I was... I got to go to the sharpening trip, and, and it, was, it was a blessing. I, I already mentioned that. I got to enjoy some things. But one of the things that we do, again, is hiking. We, we, we were at Glacier, and if you've ever been to Glacier National Park, it's one of those, I mean, just an incredible place to visit. And um, the views like you wouldn't see at many places. And so this one day on Thursday, we were uh, supposed, we were scheduled then to hike to this place called Grinnell Glacier. And... And you literally, it's a glacier that never melts, and you literally take this hike. It's about an 11-mile round trip. 
Um, and the first half of it, um, you, you know, it's a couple thousand feet of, of elevation gain on the way up. So it's not easy. And the guys that were in the group were being real encouraged. It's like, oh, it's painful. Oh, it's painful. It's super hard. And I'm like, would you just be quiet? Like, let me just assume it's going to be easy. Don't make me, you know, dread this. So it's a, guys kept saying it's hard, but there were some guys that said it's really painful, but wait till you see it at the top. Wait till you get there. So I was like, I'm going to choose to listen to those. <laughs> and you know, they were right. It was tough. And there were times, especially when you get toward the end, there's this one part where you gain a lot of elevation in a short amount of time. It's kind of the last push till you get to the, the, the hill uh, over the, over, that comes over the top to the glacier. And, and the switchbacks, and you're going up. And, you know, there are times I was like, I just want to stop. But the guys around me, uh, they were thinking the same thing. But, you know, we were all like, well, I don't want to stop if he doesn't stop. So we were just kind of pushing through it. And it, it's a help. So when we get to the top and I I'll crest the hill and I see this glacier and, it, and on the, the backside of the glacier is just sheer, I mean, probably thousand foot cliffs all over the back, all along the back of the glacier. And it had rained the day before. So there were like waterfalls all, I mean, the backdrop of the glacier just had waterfalls all over it. And coming out from the bottom of the glacier, the melt from the, the melt off from the glacier, there was this waterfall that went, I mean, literally a couple, probably a thousand feet down to this lake below it. It was just an awe-inspiring uh, view. And, and we got to the top and I saw the beauty, I saw the waterfalls, I saw the view all the way down to the valley floor. You could be there at the, the lake by the glacier, you could look down and see one lake, you look and see another one in the distance, you see another one in the distance. It was just an incredible incredible sight and as I stood there I was thinking about the pain but really I was more thinking about the payoff and they were right there was pain but they were also right in that there was a payoff and the payoff was worth the pain and the same is true in church there's there's pain there's effort and sometimes it's a pain to gather as a church. You just don't feel like it. Sometimes there's the pain of effort of giving the gospel and it's not your personality. And there's a pain of growing through the word and it's, it's painful to grow, to be stretched. And there's pain in fellowship sometimes. That sounds terrible, but I mean that you're like, I really want an evening at home. But I really feel like I should invest in this family. So we're going to have them over tonight. That's pain. It's effort. There's pain in prayer. Prayer's not easy. Sometimes there's pain in community. And that there's an offense. And you have to decide if I'm going to hold on to this. Or let it go for the greater good. There's effort and pain. And it comes with our sacrifices. There's pain. And there's, it, sometimes it's painful to be willing because you know, I mean, especially if you have a truck. People are always going to be asking you for stuff. I mean, there's, there, I mean, it's just part of it. And, and sometimes it's hard and it's painful and it takes work. It's not easy to be humble. It's painful. It's not easy to be forgiving. It's painful. 
And when we're weary and tired, it's hard and painful. We're worn. We just don't feel like it. But I'm telling you this. When the payoff is the favor of the people around us and the miraculous working of God in our church body, all the pain that it takes to get there to the payoff, the payoff is worth it. Amen. The pain is hard, but the payoff is great. And if we as a church will embrace the difficulties of a spirit of togetherness, someday when we see God do miraculous things, the conversion of souls, the adding to the church. I mean, we baptized five last weekend. We have people that are, that are God's working in their lives even right now. And, and we've got things happening in people's lives. And I'm telling you, every time a soul is converted, the pain of togetherness is worth the payoff. Amen. And every time the Lord adds people to our church, the pain of togetherness is worth it. And every time we have a spirit of unity in a song service, I'm telling you, the pain of, of, uh, of the difficulty is worth the payoff. And I'm just saying this, if the payoff is God blessing us in ways that only he can, then I, for one, am willing to steadfastly commit and pursue the things that I can do. If it means that God will do something great at our church, then I'd be willing to do something hard. So that I can enjoy something great. Is it easy? No. Is it painful? Yes. But is it worth it? I think the payoff is worth it. If it means we have favor with people. And the miraculous blessing of God in our lives. I would say the pain is definitely worth it. We just have to decide if we are willing to continuously pursue. Steadfastly pursue a spirit of togetherness. And see what God can do as a result of it. Let's pray. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.